pray for you. It's a painful thing to have to pray for you guys, but Father, you absolutely, you are a relationship. You don't just care about relationships, you are one. It's essential, it's your nature. So Father, we pray your Holy Spirit on each one of these connect group leaders right now, that you would empower them with the love and the wisdom and the compassion that is necessary to live that ministry. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to fill each one of them to do exactly what you've called them to do. Amen. And I forgot, uh, Shelley's Connect group is a women's group that meets by Zoom on Wednesdays. And we have uh, 20-somethings and 30s on Wednesday nights at 7 at our house. So that's it for... Hmm? Oh, there's a sign-up form outside? Great. Good. So you can do that. It, signing up really helps. And look, now you know who these leaders are. Uh, you can take them aside afterwards, and you can ask them questions about their group. But don't ask Kenya questions about our group because she'll say bad things about me. And I, I don't want that to happen. Okay, today's message. There are... Two metaphors, images, pictures that Paul uses to describe the body of Christ, the church, Jesus' church. And they're very interesting because they are so opposed to one another. They're two images that don't work well at all together. The first one is he describes us as a family. And he says, particularly, Galatians 6.10 let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So as we meet together here today, we are a family. He's ordained that. He's decided that. But at the same time, he describes us, the Apostle Paul, as an army. He says this, Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So at the same time that we're a family, we're also an army. Can you imagine any tension in this situation? Yeah. Family and army. Because they're fundamentally different. And we're going to explore that in a minute. But here's AV, guys. I'm going to ask you if we can do this. I hope we can do this like one question at a time and the answer on army and the answer on family coming after we do a Q&A. Ready? You're going to be engaged in this. This is your chance to, to think. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't come to church to think. I hate thinking. I come to church because the pastor's done my thinking for me, and I can just sit and receive and grow ever larger in my knowledge that I took from somebody else rather than having to do anything for myself. Being Christian is great. So I invite you today to think. So, focus. What is the focus of an army? Don't put it up there. Don't put it up there. Good, perfect, great. 
What is the focus of an army? Come on. Fighting to win a war. And in one word, it's mission. They're, they're mission-centered. We're here for a reason, and that's all that matters is that reason. You with me? So the focus of an army is the mission. What is the focus of a family? And all that happens in the context of relationships. So the army exists for the mission, and the family exists for the sake of relationships. Very different things. Let's look at the purpose of an army. What is the purpose of an army? To fight. It's to fight. It's all about fighting. That's its only existence, it's to fight. What is the purpose of the, of the family? Somebody already said it. What's the purpose? Love. <laughs> Isn't it? Look, how could, how could it? You, you can't get more opposite than that. The army's there to fight, and the family's there to love. They're not going to work very well together. How about the role of discipline? The role of discipline in the army. What kind of discipline is required in the army. What's the role of discipline? I mean, yeah, in the army. What's the role of discipline in the army? Total. Total. Total obedience for victory. What is the role of discipline in the family? Okay. I'm thinking the level of discipline in the army is total. The level of discipline in the family is the minimum necessary for fairness. God didn't give you mother and father so they could push you around. He gave you mother and father so that you could grow up. But we don't need any more discipline in a family than what's necessary to accomplish that purpose. But in an army, discipline must be perfect. Or else everybody suffers. Okay, here's my favorite one. In an army, who's your favorite companion? Who do you want beside you in an army? Who's your favorite person in your unit, in your platoon? Hmm? The meanest, nastiest warrior you can find. You don't, you don't have to like him. You don't have to respect him. You just know this is the guy I want beside me in the foxhole. Who's your favorite companion in the family? The nicest one. Somebody said it. It's the nicest one. I just want to be around the one that makes me feel the best about myself, mostly. 
Okay, who's the most important person in the army? The general. Somebody said the general. The most important person in the army is the leader. Without that, it's not going to function. Okay, who's the most important person in the family? Pardon? Very close. Who, who's the most, in, at any given moment in the family, who's the most, imper, most important person? Hmm? Brilliant. Stephanie said, whoever has a need. And this is it. The most important person in the family is the one who's hurting right now. That's the most important person. And everyone gathers around to take care of that person until they're okay. And that's going to shift and change every day. What is the pastor's role in the army? What's the pastoral, what's the pastoral role in the army? So the leader. Yeah, the leader. What's the pastor's role in the family? Father or mother? Isn't that interesting? You see how two ships passing in the night? Family and army at the same time. Is it possible? It seem, they seem incompatible, but they're both descriptions of who we are to be. By God's design. He designed this, this dissonance. A healthy church, and this is something, oh, let's just do this. Let's just do this right now. Having heard the characteristics of the army and the characteristics of the family, which one do you gravitate to most? Now, I know you're supposed to say, oh, 50-50 in a perfect balance. That's not true. Nobody is that. We are built by God to have preferences to one or to the other. So let's just do a test right now. Check out our church and find out who we really are. As you've looked at the family and you've looked at the army, how many of you gravitate to the army? Metaphor. Get your hands up. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you gravitate towards family? Look around. We're a family church. We're a family church. But... We sure could spend some time developing the army because we are very much lopsided in our identity. And the healthiest churches that I've encountered when I travel and do this little exercise are the 50-50 ones. Half the church is army and half the church is family. But what does that make for Na nasty elders meetings. 
difficult connect group meetings because we both have something that we highly value and it's sort of our identity and we bring it into everything that we do and it means it's more difficult to work it out. Does that make sense? But that's okay because God's in the working it out. He's in that process. And we learn to love really well when we have to work it out. When a crisis comes, we usually default to our default position. And this often leads to misunderstandings and disunity. Why am I, why am I teaching this today? How does this relate to what we're going through as a church? Why talk about this now? Hello? What was that? When the crisis comes, we find out where we stand on these things. The, the crisis has come. We're in the middle of it right now. And today, it's worsened. Hope found out a short time ago her oncologist has given her between two and four weeks to live. And we can't escape this situation. Now, hearing this news for most of us arouses either the family in us or the army in us. And it's supposed to. Because both are going to be necessary to get through this. And God wants both of these at the same time. Can they operate in unity at the same time. The Bible says they can. Jesus lives the most amazing, <laughs> just the story. There's so many things I love about him, but this one really touches my heart. And you all know the story. It's a good one. John 11, story of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Interestingly, Jesus waited for his death before he went to visit the family. That's kind of strange. So Jesus comes to visit the family, and he knows he's going there to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows he's, he's waited for him to die simply so that he can raise him from the dead. And his close friend Lazarus and his close friends Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters, they're completely torn apart. Lazarus is dead. And frankly, they're upset with Jesus that he didn't come sooner. If you had been here, this would not have happened. See, they had faith for a miracle in his presence once if he'd been there. But now that my brother is dead, well nothing he can do. They're broken. And Jesus' reaction is really strange because he's come here to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what he's, he knows the mission. You see, he's on a mission. This is strategic. 
So he knows what he's going to do. He's going to do one of his most, if not his most outstanding miracle, raising the dead. And he shows up, and the Bible gives us the shortest verse in the Bible. It's two words. What does he do? Jesus wept. He breaks down and he cries. Why? Why? I mean, he's, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why doesn't he just say, girls, girls, calm down, I'm here. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Just give me a couple of minutes, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Stop crying. Just stop crying. You don't need to cry. I'm here. But he weeps with them. What is that about? That's family. That's his love and compassion. Before he does a miracle, he enters into the suffering. And so often in our lives, we are called to enter into someone else's suffering before we bring the help we intended to bring. Why? Because when you enter into the suffering with them, you're not the answer, you're the companion. When you're the answer, you can stay emotionally distanced. You can stay in a safe place. You don't have to enter into their pain, which is so hard to do. And yet he chooses to do that. And then he does the army thing. Lazarus, get up. He's living both at the same time. The Apostle Paul gives us a, a similar teaching when he calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. We're to be in this unity no matter what the situation is. So what's this mean for us in this situation right now? How do we do this well? Well, the fact is, some of us are gifted by the Holy Spirit to carry on the prayer ministry and to fight for her healing until it's over one way or the other. That's what some of us are called to do. Others are gifted by God to help those who cannot fight, cannot find it within themselves to do that, and who need to be comforted. This is the pastoral gift of the Holy Spirit. It's comforting the afflicted. Both are needed at the same time in the crisis. This should be a comfort because for those that are wired with a strong gift of faith, they know what they're supposed to do and they do it. And those of us who are wired pastorally to care for people and, and identify with their pain and, and enter into their suffering with them, we're supposed to do that. The one thing 
we must not do is judge the other. Hello? Why don't you have more faith? Why don't you have more compassion? That is the devil's agenda. Look at those people. They don't have as much faith as you have. They've already given up. Look at those faith people. They have no heart. They don't care about people's suffering. That's his agenda. That's the devil's agenda. God's agenda is that we would know our calling and who we are and we would do it with integrity. And that in the process, we would love one another. Our ultimate goal is that God will be glorified no matter what the situation. Is that fair to say? God will be glorified no matter what the situation. And look, let's be honest. To this end, God is glorified in miraculous healings. He's also glorified in how we survive suffering and how we endure suffering. Praising Him for His goodness no matter what the circumstance no matter what the answer to our prayers, praising Him for His goodness. Now, interestingly, this is how hope is glorifying God. Have you read her posts? She's been here a number of times, and she said this, and I have to repeat it because it's the absolute bottom line. She has said of her faith, my belief in God doesn't rest on my healing. He's already done enough for me that I will praise him in thanksgiving forever, no matter what happens. We must never equate the goodness of God with our answered prayers. When you do that, you attempt to manipulate God. I'll trust you, and I'll praise you, and I'll follow you and worship you and obey you as long as you just do this one thing for me. And that will be the test of your goodness. Ever done that? I mean, I don't use those exact words. I try to trick him, kind of move him around sideways and kind of get behind him and then give him a kidney punch. Like, now you got to do this for me? And you find yourself doing that to him, and it's really stupid. And it's not productive. It doesn't work. And then you get mad at him because he didn't give you, oh, this is the worst. And then you get mad at him because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. And now you're in a really bad place, but you don't have his help to get through that bad place because you're mad at him. Nobody's home. Oh, get this. This is cool. Watch. I can sing to myself by hitting myself in the head. It's quite amazing. You get what I'm saying, though, right? The greatest glory we can give to God is not found in either defeating sickness or praising God in the face of suffering. It's not found in either of these two things. The greatest glory for God is not found in that answered prayer of defeating sickness or in praising God in the face of suffering. Those glorify God, but that is not the greatest glory. That is not the key thing 
that honors God. How do I know this? The greatest glory we can give God is in our unity, no matter what the circumstances. How we handle the different callings, how we handle unanswered prayers or answered prayers is not as important as how we went through it together. How do I know this? Out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus' last prayer for his disciples. The night before he died. He said this to them. And actually, interestingly, he's praying for them to the Father. So his words are to the Father, but it's about them. And he says to the Father, I have, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's nothing more precious to the Father's heart than that we are loving one another in the middle of whatever's going on. So, my question is, what does this unity look like in our church? In this terrible suffering, how do we choose to share in each other's suffering? Because when one of us suffers, all of us suffers. So I've got five points that I think are little helpful things. How do we share in each other's sufferings? Number one, listen without a lesson. Listen without a lesson. Everyone processes a crisis differently. Some face it head on. Others try to run from it. Some need to talk about it. Others need to process it internally. The best we can do is to listen without giving advice or teaching a lesson. That's what Jesus did when he chose to cry with Mary and Martha. Simply entered into the moment. We always think we have to have a lesson for somebody. What if the lesson is our presence? What if that's all that's required? What if words in those moments might actually get in the way? Number two, don't run from the pain of others. It's tempting to avoid other people's pain because it hurts or because it makes us feel powerless or useless. Often we don't want to face what we can't fix. Gentlemen, talking about marriage. I can't tell you the number of times Shelley has said, please stop talking. I don't need your advice. I just need you to be here and listen to me. 
when you're in the answer business and you don't get to give one, it just doesn't seem fair. But a lot of times people don't need our answers, they just need our presence. Just to be with them in the middle of it. Risk the pain for the sake of love. Share their pain for the sake of love. This is next one's really important. Number three, accept that you don't know how to respond. I mean, how many of you have had this thought, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And so we consider ourselves unqualified because we don't know how to respond. Just be there anyway. Just be there. Just be there with them. And something will come to you that's what you're supposed to do or say. Or if nothing comes, just be with them. Look, you don't have to have the perfect response. When you don't know how to respond or what to say, just listen. And the truth is, often there is no perfect response. You're just part of the process. You're going through it with them. Just you being there is enough. Number four, accept that you don't know why the suffering is happening. We feel, I feel, a tremendous need to come to God's defense. Well, here's why this is happening. I feel the need to explain it. We had this couple in our church years ago, and it was their... remember first or second pregnancy but it was a big issue and the baby had a disease genetically caused disease that saw to it pretty sure was that his brain was hydrocephalic and he was they were told he's not going to live so the three elders, John and I and another, went to the hospital when the baby was born. And we held the baby, prayed for the baby, anointed the baby. It is a uniquely horrible experience to hold a little pink baby and watch it go blue in your arms. It's one of the most horrible experiences of me being a pastor. And when it was over, the couple was completely destroyed. Couldn't understand why God would let this happen, why our prayers weren't answered, all of those things. And then they asked to meet with John the week after, coming with all these questions. Why did this happen? Why didn't God intervene? And I was praying for the meeting and I was saying to the Lord, Lord, give him good answers. 
Give him good answers. They've got questions that are killing them. Give them good answers. So he got together with them and they started asking all these questions. And I think it was one of his finest moments. I still find it just so perfect. He said, I can't answer any of your questions. Let's worship. Let's just get down on our knees and let's just worship, worship the Lord. Because you're not going to get answers to your questions. But you can choose to worship him anyway. And that's what they did. And they got through it. Much of the time, we don't know why the suffering happened, especially to good people. It seems so unfair. But here's what we do know every single time. We do know this. God's goodness is not defined by a life without suffering. God's goodness is defined by the cross and what happens the moment after our death. That's when we'll understand the goodness of God. The moment after our death. That's our bottom line. Number five, the last one, real short. When in doubt, choose to love well. If we do that, we've glorified God. We have a whole bunch of time. Do you want to do a Q&A? Do you have any questions or comments about this? Was it helpful? Good. Any comments? Yeah. Hmm. I wish you hadn't asked that. Jerry said, can you give us any advice on becoming more like an army? Which is a really good question because we are very heavily on the family side of things. Okay, so we want to... Oh, here's the cool thing about the dynamic between family and army. What God's looking for is an army that loves like a family and a family that fights like an army. That's what he's looking for. So, ah, this might be the Lord. Um, I think step one would be to figure out what your spiritual gifts are. I mean, the, the gifts are the equipment both to love and to fight. They're, the same gifts are used for both. You can apply them to fight, you can apply them to love. So knowing what your ammunition and your gun is, and your hand grenades, and all that stuff, knowing what they are, ask God the question, 
how can I best use these gifts to advance the fight and then apply them in whatever way works for that mission? I'll give you an example. Where's Mark Myers? There he is. Mark Myers has a very, very fine mind, and uh, he's a very competent teacher. Now, he could use that, which he does, within the church in his small group to take care of us, but he's chosen to go and do English language for Afghan refugees. So he's chosen to use his teaching gift in a frontline missional setting. That's cool. The spiritual gift of administration. You're really good with deploying resources. You're strategic. And inside the church, we use that in the benevolence fund for Joe and Christina, a helps ministry, seeing that meals get to the right people, that particular needs get met well. That's still family. But you can use that same skill strategically into the community where you start doing it for non-Christians so they start experiencing the love of God in practical ways. So if you start with what am I gifted with as an individual, ask the question, how can I use it for the mission outside of the family? And if you ask that with a sincere heart, God's going to answer it. He is not, he, God does not waste people. If you're ready, willing, and able, he will find a purpose for you. Mm-hmm. I, I think to Jerry's question, too, I, I think about it. I really like what Mark was saying about looking for our own gifts. In the military... How do they train us for war? They train us. They teach us. They put us, they put us through training, put us in situations. We learn from others. And I believe for the army of God that that's the same thing. Um, Mark, Mark always says, I'm not an intercessor. I'm not an intercessor. I've heard him say that for many years. I'm but, not an intercessor. Yeah. <laughs> but if you go to pre-service prayer, Mark may not pray like other people in their pray, but he still brings his gifts in, and it enhances the warfare that's taking place in pre-service prayer. And I always feel incompetent, like there's something wrong with you. No, I'm just being honest with you. I feel like there's something wrong with me because I don't pray like some of you guys pray. But I'm not going to pretend to pray like you play, pray. That would be really bad. Well, so I, I, feel think in, I feel inferior because I don't come up with these pearls <laughs> well, Gary, like you do. Let me help you. <laughs> so We all got to do what we, we are, we right? We do what we are. We but, do what but we as are. we get alongside, I've had, I've had some say to me, I want to learn to move in the deliverance ministry, which is a form of warfare. And I, I say, okay, then let's go into training. And I give them some books to read. And I say, okay, you can be, join with me and we'll go through some deliverance time together you'll see and you'll become a part of it that's how I learned to move in the deliverance ministry I got alongside people that move in that ministry so God will start to show you what your calling is maybe it's you know to be an intercessor maybe it's to whatever it is 
you find someone that's already moving in that right. gift and hang on to them and pick their brain and spend time talking to them and let them pray over you. You know, we can, imp we can impart to one another. I think that's part of how we beg. Absolutely. Good point. Shells. I'm jumping from what you said into an application of it, and that's this. And I think this is what you're saying in a slightly different way. We, to grow and be useful in the kingdom of God, we must embrace risk. We are most powerful often when we are most uncomfortable. Because when we're most uncomfortable, we're most dependent on God, God's power and His presence. If all I do is what I do naturally well, I will become a very fulfilled human being. If I take risks and step out of my comfort zone and start doing things I re that creep me out and frighten me, I am dependent on Him, and His Spirit comes rushing in to do something, and I get to grow spiritually, not in human potential, but in God potential. But those things do not happen until we embrace some measure of risk. Shut up, Josh. I'm busy. Well, what's with these guys? They just come up here and they just take over. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Which, which, Kyle, is that point about don't run from the pain of others? If you'll enter into their world with them, 
you're going to find a way to help them. Maybe your presence alone. And that's risk, isn't it? It's so risking. It's so risky and difficult emotionally to enter into the pain of another person because you end up sharing it. You end up feeling much of what they feel, and it's not pleasant. But it's the doorway through which God can come to them. Okay. It makes me think of... Um, it makes me think of when... You know, when one person, if you're married or you, or you have a family member, they're freaking out. They're having like a, a, an attack and the other one is like calm as a cucumber, you know, and able to, able to bring levity to the situation, ask pointing questions, calm them down. And then not too long after that, the other person has an incident and the other person's calm. So I think God can give grace in the moment, you know, uh, and as you were talking, I just thought of how Joshua, as soon as Moses passed away and the mantle fell on Joshua, how many times did God say, be strong and courageous? A lot. Mm-hmm. You know, he had, he had to remind him to be strong and courageous. And he was in the army. <laughs> he was a warrior for the, the Israelites. He was, he was, he was the captain. He made it happen so but he had to step up into a new territory and i think that's what we are being sort of thrust into is new territory as a church body so be strong be courageous step out of your comfort zone and as mark has been saying it's it takes risk it takes that but you're going to have the grace to handle it if you are completely surrendered to god and don't you love this reverb <laughs> Hey, I just had a thought. How we can end? How about... You've all identified, I think, whether you're family or whether you're army. And we're asking the question, how can we use that for God's glory, that perspective? And let's... How about we ask the Lord to speak to us personally, individually, what our next step is in this process and for empowering it really isn't about us it's about his holy spirit so how about we let him have an opportunity to do that are you with me if that's what you're for stand up and if not don't don't be manipulated ever but if you want to ask the lord these questions and take a step forward in it let's pray for one another right now okay okay open your hands like you're going to receive something, if you would, because you are. (laughs) Holy Spirit, presence of God, we're admitting our need right now that we need more of you, especially as we go through this difficult time, this crisis together. So we ask you for your power right now. Come and fill me with your power right now. Fill me with your love and compassion right now. I need more of you right now. And I welcome you. 
and I'm willing to take some risks. I'm willing to take some risks. But you've got to be for you've got to be there with me when when I take those risks, Lord. Because I can't do it without you. Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you to come and fill me for your purposes. There's a number of people here today and hope's crisis and this, these unanswered prayers has caused you to doubt God to the depth of your heart and you feel terrible and sick about it like you've somehow really failed him because you're having this crisis of faith and the Lord says this to you right now I'm here for you I'm not judging you for your crisis or your questions. And I'm not at all judging you for your crisis or your questions. I hear him saying Jesus had the same questions the night before he died. And he had the same questions when he hung on the cross. But the Lord says, I'm here for you and I'm not walking away. He says, you, you can doubt me. You can doubt the future, but I'm not walking away. I'm here for you, and I'm just a pause away. All you have to do is pause and think of me, and I will be there for you, because I'm here with you, and I'm not walking away. And I don't judge you. Spirit, what do you want from us? Give us, give us our next step. Give us, give us an application that's practical, something that we can do and step into. What truth do you want me to start believing and focusing on? What do I need to hear? What do I need to remind myself? Hear him saying, who do you want me to be for you? What do you want me to be for you? What part of me do you need in your life right now? Hear him saying, ask me. Tell me. What do you need? What do you need me to be? given us so much scripture and so much encouragement that we are in him in him so whatever we gravitate towards he's the head 
He's the head of this body. He's our father. He's our papa. And we are in him, which changes everything. 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 So no matter our personal personality or gravity, immerse yourself, especially this week. Immerse yourself in the scriptures that talk about how we're in him. Just take the letter of Ephesians, first chapter. First 14 verses, it talks about being in him 10 times. See, that will immerse us in reality. Because right now, we're pulled to all over to our own perception of what's going on. We're either way. But with his word, we are absolutely immersed in being reminded who we are. We're in him, family. No matter what happens, we are in him. And I just want to thank Mark for, and thank you, John, for um, asking Mark to share this very difficult um, time. Say, look out. We're all together, and we're in him. Amen. Prayer teams, would you come forward now? And we're going to have a time of application. If, if something in the message needs to be reinforced with the laying on of hands or with prayer, you can receive that right now. If there's anything going on in your life that requires prayer, no matter how small it is or how big it is, and you want prayer, this is the opportunity to get it. So why don't you feel free to come forward now and, and we'll pray for you. And if you don't need prayer, we just want to thank you so much for, for joining us uh, online and in the house. Um, if you don't know what to do, just worship. Good to you know, see you. The presence of God is more than enough. We love you. We thank you so much for, for joining us. God bless you guys.